Generalized anxiety disorder has been called worry without reason. How do you know when worry is normal and when you need to treat it? I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Margaret Werenberg. An expert on the treatment of anxiety and depression, Dr. Werenberg also has extensive training and expertise in the neurobiology of psychological disorders. She's recently written a book called The Anxious Brain, The Neurobiological Basis of Anxiety Disorders and How to Effectively Treat Them. Welcome to ReachMD. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here today. Dr. Werenberg, tell us about generalized anxiety disorder. Generalized anxiety disorder is basically when people worry a lot. It's highly underappreciated as a cause of physical as well as mental distress. It is a disorder in which people spend a great deal of time worrying about things that are normal, but to an extent that it really just robs them of joy in life. It preoccupies their minds, distracts them from things they should pay attention to, and it can seriously interfere with work life and relationships, with school life, and it causes a lot of physical complaints as well. How common is it? There are probably about 3% of people in the U.S. population that suffer from generalized anxiety and, interestingly, I think can affect children as well as adults. And it's one of the things that brings people, I think, into medical attention without them mentioning that it's anxiety. But there are probably about 6 million people at any given time in the United States suffering from it. What are the symptom clusters of GAD, generalized anxiety disorder? They tend to fall into the category of physical symptoms that are related to excessive tension. And there's actually some underlying biological connections between things like migraine and GAD, but also connections between generalized anxiety and gastrointestinal distress, irritable bowel, TMJ. So you've got all those physical symptoms related to tension where GAD makes the physical problem much worse. You also have symptoms that I would call cognitive, and one of them is vigilance, being alert and hyper aware of how you're being in the world. Are you making a mistake? Is there something you should be paying attention to so you don't miss anything, that kind of mental hyper focus, and also mentally just worrying, really ruminative. And emotionally, the symptoms are just a great deal of negativity and expecting the worst, if you will. How can a primary care physician recognize GAD when the patient comes in presenting of something else, like irritable bowel or migraine? Sometimes I think the biggest clue is when you say to someone with GAD, well, how do you feel? They'll say, oh, I just feel bad, (laughs) just bad. Because everything in their body, if you just imagine holding your body really tight for a long time, you would just start to feel bad. You would feel achy. And I think the general medical issues that they bring in, you would probably recognize this is a person who is not very probably receptive to the idea of getting well, who feels frustrated or worried about whether they're going to do the treatment right. So you'll hear a lot of worry and a lot of rigidity in the way they respond to the medical intervention as well. So I'd be on the lookout for somebody who has a lot of tension-related physical symptoms who also seems to be preoccupied with the worry and the negative aspects of it. 
What do we know about the neurobiological causes of generalized anxiety disorder? There's one, I think, primary cause in low levels of serotonin in the brain, which get a lot of attention because they are so influential on different systems in the brain. But low serotonin in the limbic system of the brain results in excess negative attitude, feelings that the world really is worth worrying about and there's not a lot of optimism in that. But if you couple that, especially with a higher norepinephrine level, which has an impact on a couple of symptoms in the brain. The higher norepinephrine level can end up resulting in a sensation of dread and also in the extreme physical tension and mental tension of the generalized anxiety disorder client. And the other neurobiological cause may be an overreactivity of the stress response system where a patient who has been genetically endowed with too many stress response neurons, too many CRF neurons, may feel like everything in life that's a little stressful, they feel it in their bodies as if it's very stressful because they're generating too much stress response to normal stress. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Margaret Werenberg. We are discussing her book, The Anxious Brain, The Neurobiological Basis of Anxiety Disorders and How to Effectively Treat Them. Which leads us to this. How do we best treat GAD? GAD is a little bit harder to treat than some of the other anxiety disorders because it's so important to address lifestyle issues. A person that has generated a lot of tension in their lives very often tries to accommodate their feeling of being tense or vigilant by working extra hours, trying to get a lot done. People with generalized anxiety, by the way, can be very high drive, high energy, big achieving people. They don't want to slow down particularly, but in part because when they slow down, they start to worry more. So we need to help this person assess lifestyle. Are they eating well? Are they getting enough sleep? What's the quality of their sleep? That would be a very important medical question to ask because often generalized anxiety interferes with sleep and then getting less sleep interferes with being more stressful and it becomes a vicious circle. So you really want to pay attention to good sleep hygiene and making sure your client's able to sleep. Very much be aware of the stimulant things they have, caffeine, Energy drinks for younger people in particular are a source of this. How much Starbucks is somebody drinking? You know, that, that quality of are you generating too much physical arousal through the way you're eating and drinking? So I think first of all, going after lifestyle and then looking at if we're treating it in psychotherapy, we're going to very much look at something I would call worry management. How to help the person handle their thoughts differently and calm down worry and learn how to manage it. And that usually is a process that takes some time because you're interrupting a pattern that's been in place usually for a very long time. Now, where do medications fit in? When I find somebody who is so wrought up that they can't feel any energy for calming down their worry, medications in the SSRI category are often very helpful. Raising the serotonin level tends to diminish worry, and make it possible for somebody to take charge of their thoughts. It Also, the SSRIs raise the energy in the prefrontal cortex for thinking clearly. 
And very often people who are generalized anxiety patients often have some overlapping depression. So giving an SSRI makes the mood less negative and it gives the prefrontal cortex more energy for fighting against the negative mood. That's a very, very helpful class of medications. I also always want to ask the medical doctors who are working with my clients to look at whether or not sleep might be improved with an anti-anxiety medication because the normal sedative hypnotic meds that are prescribed for poor sleep, and this would be in my anecdotal experience, are not so effective for the person with generalized anxiety. They seem to do better with something that has more of an anti-anxiety component to help them sleep. So as a non-medical professional myself, I ask my clients to have a talk with their psychiatrist or their primary care docs to take a look at the possibility of improving the quality of sleep right away. Not that I would like a person to be on those meds for a long time, certainly, but for a short term, it might really help them get their sleep pattern back on track. So often these patients with generalized anxiety disorder are just ravaged with guilt. Any techniques on how to help them with that? Oh, my goodness. You are absolutely right about that. And it depends a little bit on what their guilt is in relationship to. I think you have to ask a person to try to distinguish between legitimate guilt and hypothetical guilt. Many times people are worried about things that maybe they did wrong, but they're not really sure. And if there's a legitimate guilt, we need to connect them with somebody who can help them talk through their spiritual beliefs about what it takes to make up for or atone for guilt, and also, can they feel forgiven? Guilt, for most people with TAD, is evidence of a worrying or ruminating brain. And if they also then are working at calming down rumination, they're going to be able to calm down guilt. And I think this would be very challenging to do without some longer-term psychotherapy. By longer-term, I mean many weeks, not many months. I think you need to explore the nature of the guilt to know exactly how to intervene with it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your ideas on the show with us today. It was my pleasure. We've been discussing generalized anxiety disorder and the anxious brain with our guest today, Dr. Margaret Werenberg. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and your comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.